Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12 tonight. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. We are studying Paul's letter to the Philippians. I think the most personal of Paul's letters, especially when you think that he wrote it from prison in Rome. I think he had an affection for the church at Philippi unlike any other local church that he had ever been associated with or that he had planted. And last week he talked about the beginnings of how as followers of Jesus Christ we need to fight for joy. That joy is not something that happens automatically. That there's all these things in the world and even from our spiritual enemy that pull against us being able to truly settle and enjoy the fullness of joy that only God can bring us. And many times as Christians, we settle for something less than what God has for us. And so Paul says throughout our life, there's always going to be those, those trials and those challenges and those seasons where it would be so easy to, to in a sense, maybe go the easy road and settle for for something less than God's best, something less than the fullness of joy that only God can bring. In fact, that's why at the end of our study last week in verse 10, his desire was that the Philippians would come to a place in their spiritual growth in life where through their love abounding more and more in knowledge and every kind of insight, verse 10, that they could decide what was best. That they could literally, when they were faced with a choice in their life, they could always choose the best over even something good, you see. Because many times as a Christian, can I say this? It's obvious between the choice of what's good and what's bad. Not that we don't sometimes choose the bad, but, but what becomes more difficult is when you and I are faced with choices and they're both good. And we have to determine which road is the best, which one's better than the other. And that's what Paul's trying to get at here in this letter. Because it's only when you and I learn about what is really the best, God's best, that we can truly experience his fullness of joy. What I'd like to do tonight is I'd like to read the passage we're going to be exploring tonight and then go back and share with you three things. We're going to see in this passage the providence of God, the proclamation of Christ, and the purpose of life as far as Paul is concerned. And notice here now beginning in verse 12 in this break, Paul goes from praying for the Philippians and expressing his desire for their spiritual growth in life to now addressing their concerns. It was a give and take. The Philippians had shared with Paul how concerned they were when they heard that he was in prison in Rome. And so he's writing back this particular passage to try to alleviate their concerns about his situation. And notice what he says beginning in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1. He said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. 
the whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I am in prison for the sake of Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment, now more than ever dare to speak the word fearlessly. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do so from love because they know that I am placed here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, because they think that they can cause trouble for me in my imprisonment. What is the result? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My confident hope is that I will in no way be ashamed, but that with complete boldness, even now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or die. Notice as we began back in verse 12, that again, the comments of Paul under the inspiration of, of the Spirit, back to the Philippians, is to address their concerns. They're like, Paul, what's going on? What is God up to? They were fighting discouragement. Paul was their missionary. In fact, they had such a high view of Paul that they thought he was the greatest evangelist that the world had ever seen. And now he's in prison. He's under house arrest in Rome. This is a terrible outcome, right? Paul's like, no, no, no. No, he's saying to them, you and I have got to learn to see in life's circumstances the providence of God. And we have to trust even more so in the providence of God. Notice he begins in verse 12 by saying, I want you to know. It's the Greek word gnosko. It means to learn something by experience. It's to be very, very well acquainted with something, fully acquainted with something. Because here's the deal. The right knowledge can bring us joy. The right knowledge, not, not the wrong knowledge, the right knowledge of, of something, of a situation can bring us joy. And Paul is saying, guys, back in Philippi, you don't yet know in your hearts and minds what I already know. I'm not here in prison bemoaning the fact that I'm in prison and questioning God's will for my life and plan for my life as if somehow he's abandoned me or forsaken me or turned his back on me. No, no, no. I'm seeing with my own eyeballs, Paul says that God really knows what he's doing and that in his providence, here's what you need to know back in Philippi to be encouraged rather than being discouraged. You need to know that God has turned, verse 12, that's a key concept. He has turned my imprisonment to actually advance the gospel. First of all, prison doors or a house like Paul was sequestered in can never keep the word of God bound. The word of God cannot be contained by anything man-made or anything men or even 
the devil himself or the demons of hell try to do. And Paul's trying to remind all of us of this principle. There may be times in our life where if we were just to look at something humanly, if we were just to look at our circumstances, and many times that's what we do, all we can see in our own lives at times or in the lives of others is that part of the iceberg, if you will, the smallest part that sticks above the water. We can't see the bigger part of the iceberg that actually is below the water, and yet we start trying to make determinations and coming to conclusions based on just the little bit that we can see. And Paul is saying, that is no way to live if you want to experience God's joy. Because if you and I want to experience God's joy, we've always got to, in each and every circumstance that we find ourselves in, in every trial that we see our brothers and sisters in, we've got to trust and know the providence of God is at work. And God is never going to back up in anything that he does. God is always going to keep marching forward. He's always going to keep advancing. Nothing ever pushes God backwards. So even though in our life we may see it looks like things are heading backwards, God is saying, you need to trust me here. There's things that you can't see that I'm doing, you see. Notice Paul brings this out. First of all, he gives them the example that there are many Romans, many Roman soldiers many of them who are chained to him every day, and many of those in, in the barracks at Rome and all of that. And then that sifts up into the palace and, and up into to Caesar and up into the Senate and, and the leadership of Rome. He says, do you not realize that the whole imperial guard of Rome and everyone else knows why I'm here? I'm here for the sake or the cause of Jesus Christ. It is very well known. And I'm getting an opportunity to witness to people and share the gospel with people. And people are coming to know the Lord that would have never had the opportunity had I not been in this place. So instead of looking at it as a negative circumstance, Paul is saying, my goodness, look at what God is doing, first of all, in Rome, especially with some of the Roman soldiers and Roman leadership. But then he goes on in verse 14 to say this. Here's another thing that I want you to be encouraged with back in Philippi. There are many brothers and sisters in Christ right here in Rome that before they saw and heard about what happened to me, they were timid, weak Christians that if they had the opportunity to stand up for Christ in public or to, to share the gospel or whatever, they probably wouldn't do it. But now, he says, now they are emboldened by seeing what's happened in my life and what's going on in my life. Notice what he says. They are now having a confidence like they never had in the Lord because of my imprisonment. It has lit a fire in them. It, it, is, it has sparked something in them. And they now have raised the level of their Christian commitment based upon what they have seen happen in my life. Think about that. That God sometimes can use us and what we go through, especially if we go through it with the attitude like Paul went through it, 
to begin to spark and inspire and motivate other Christians to raise the level of their Christian life and their commitment and devotion to God. And that's exactly what was happening to many of the brothers. Now, he doesn't say all, but he does say most. I'll take most any day. That'd be like if somebody asked me as the pastor of the Oasis Church, what if you could get most of your people at that church to become enthusiastic, energetic, devoted worshipers of, of God? Will you take it? I say, absolutely. Because you're never going to get everybody on board, no matter what. Jesus couldn't get everybody on board. But if you could get most, that's a success. And notice he says, most of them, because of my imprisonment, now more than ever dare to speak the word fearlessly, more boldly. They, they, are, they are stepping up. They are stepping out. They're, they're willing to put their faith and their own reputation and everything on the line like never before. And think about it now. They've already seen what happened to Paul. You would think it would have been just the opposite, right, humanly? Oh, my goodness, Paul was thrown into prison for the cause of Christ. I'm keeping my mouth shut because I don't want to follow him. No, no, just the opposite. That, that when they saw the fearlessness and the courage and the boldness and the fire that could not be quenched in Paul, most of them were like, I want to be like Paul. I want to be that kind of Christian. You see, it, it reminds us of the dynamic and why God calls us together to do life and ministry together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because just as we talked about Sunday, that's why he says in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Because you don't know how you can stir each other up and how you can encourage each other and light a spark under each other and motivate each other. And that's why he calls us together. That's just one of the reasons, you see. Let me say this about the providence of God before we move on. God reminded me in these couple of verses, 12, 13, and 14, just three verses, that God is always doing something bigger than what we can see, and he is always accomplishing multiple things at the same time. Let me repeat that, because that's important. Because that goes back to us trusting and believing and knowing the providence of God. God is always doing something bigger than what we can see. Again, that's why instead of trying to come to conclusions and judging things as human beings based on the little bit that we can see, that little bit of the iceberg that's sticking above the water, we've got to trust that God's doing things that we can't see in that situation. And that's why we can still have joy even in the midst of circumstances because our joy isn't based on our circumstances. Our joy is based on us trusting the Lord and believing in him, especially in this case, in his providence. And then, not only is God always doing something bigger, he's accomplishing, as he did here, multiple things at the same time. He's using one situation, Paul's imprisonment, and yet Paul just even here gives them two examples. One, 
I'm able to witness to people that I'd never been able to witness to, and Roman guards and Roman centurions and, and, and the imperial guard is, is coming to know the Lord, and at the same time, God is stirring up the hearts of other brothers and sisters to be a better and bolder witness. He's doing both, reaching the lost and strengthening the church at the same time. That's how God works, you see. So first of all, Paul is saying, this is why joy is a fight sometimes. Because you and I, or we can look at the circumstances or situations or seasons that other people are in, and we can come to the conclusion, just like the Philippians, oh man, another defeat. God's, God's not paying attention. God's not on the throne. God's getting pushed around. God doesn't know what he's doing. No. That will always rob us of our joy. But when we in each and every circumstance can go, God really knows what he's doing and God never backs up. God keeps advancing. As Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. God doesn't back up to anything or anybody. God keeps moving forward in spite of the obstacles and challenges. And you and I have to trust him in that moment, both individually in our own walk with him and as a church, as a community of believers, to know that it, it may look like sometimes we're taking steps backward, but God's got this and he knows what he's doing much better than what we know and he's always moving forward. The second thing I want us to see in verses 15 through 18 is the proclamation of Christ. Because the Philippians were letting Paul know, well, Paul, here's the deal. There's all these people that, since you're in prison now, they're stepping up to sort of fill the gap or take your place or whatever. And some of them love you. Some of them respect you. Some of them are on your side. And when they get out there and they preach Christ, they're also taking up for you. And they're standing up for you. And they're in your corner and they're fighting for your reputation. But Paul, there's also a whole group of other people who, since you've been in prison, they've stepped into the gap too. And guess what? They personally have an ax to grind with you. They may be brothers or sisters in Christ, but they just personally don't like you. And they're either envious of you or jealous of you and, and how God has used you, or they just don't like you for some reason or other. And when they get out there preaching Christ, they're preaching Christ, but they're also putting you down at the same time. They're causing your reputation to be damaged, Paul. What do we do about that? We have the answer what was Paul's response to that? Paul said, guys, I don't care about my reputation. I, I don't care what they say about me. All I care about, verse 18, is that Christ is being proclaimed. I'm rejoicing in that. Oh my goodness. Can I tell you? I had, to, I had to chew on this for a while, okay? 
Because let's face it, it, it's hard, even as a Christian, to sort of just not allow what others say about us, especially negatively, to bother us. But Paul is saying that is the secret to experiencing the fullness of joy in our life is when we don't let what others say about us negatively bother us as long as Christ is being proclaimed. As long as God and his kingdom is advancing, Paul's saying, it's not about my kingdom. It's not about my reputation. It's about God's reputation. And if people are hearing about Jesus Christ from others, even though they might not like me, Paul said, I'm okay with that. I guess the question I would ask all of us, including myself, is are we okay with that? Not about Paul, but about us. Do we care so much about what others think and our reputation that we wouldn't have the same response? You see, notice what Paul says in verse 17. I love this. He says, they think they're causing me trouble, but they're not. What others say about me doesn't trouble me a bit. And all I can tell you guys, and, and I realize this is where we need the supernatural empowerment and enablement of the Holy Spirit, but we have got to strive to get to this point in our lives where what others say about us does not trouble us. That we're just going to keep focusing on proclaiming Christ and putting him out there and doing what God's called us to do and not listen to all the, the naysayers and, and all the negatives and, and, and take time to respond. On. One of my favorite visual stories in the Bible about staying focused and not letting others detract us and distract us is Nehemiah when he's building the wall. And, and he's made great progress with the help, obviously, of others. And yet the enemies of God keep trying to get Nehemiah to come down off that ladder and come off that wall and, and, you know, start having a little debate down here. And I love what Nehemiah says, and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says, guys, bug off. I'm doing a great work for God, and I don't have time for you. I love that. Because can I tell you, I've had to do that several times over the years as a pastor. I've had to say, look, what you want to involve me with is not of God. It's not positive. It's negative. It's gossip. It's, it's slander. It's evil. It's, it's negative. It's unedifying. It's all these things. I don't have time for that. I got bigger, as I say, fish to fry. I got bigger things to be involved in. I've got the kingdom of God and I've got Jesus Christ to, to advance. I got to make him known. I got to build up the brothers and sisters in Christ. I've got other things to spend my, my thoughts on and my mind on and my heart on and all of that. I don't have time for that. And that's where you and I have to get to at times. And we see it in our world today. 
I mean, all through every strata of society, our social media has created this culture where everybody's got to have an answer for everybody and everybody's got to have a response to everybody and everybody's got to have a word for everybody. And we, we get engaged with all these things that at the end of it all isn't going to really build the kingdom of God at all or matter in eternity. We need to be more like Paul. I don't care what they say. I got other things to occupy myself with. I'm not going to let that trouble me. I need to get out there and proclaim Christ. So in Paul's answer to the Philippians, he first directs them to the, uh, the providence of God and then to the proclamation of Christ. But then look finally at verses 18, 19, and 20 where we see the purpose of his life. And really it should be the purpose of every one of our lives. And notice right in it, he says, in this I will rejoice, yes, and I'm going to continue to rejoice. Now let's not forget, where's Paul? He's in prison. Paul's rejoicing because it has nothing to do, this inner sense of well-being that God produces in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit and presence of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with our circumstances. It's bigger than that. It's greater than that. So he says in verse 19, as he begins to explain to them the purpose of life, he says, I know this, that I think it's going to turn out that I am going to be delivered. I'm not going to die in prison here in Rome. Because God, first of all, I know you're praying for me, and God is going to respond to the prayers of his people there in Philippi. And the Holy Spirit is helping me every day. And so my confident hope is that I will in no way be ashamed, but that with complete boldness, even now as always, here it is, the purpose of life, life Christ will be magnified or exalted in my body, whether I live or die. That's Paul's purpose for living. That Christ be exalted. That Christ be magnified. That Christ grow bigger is literally what the Greek word means. Magnified, bigger, exalted, shining a light on Jesus Christ. And Paul said, whether I live or whether I die. In other words, Paul is saying, if, if somehow Jesus Christ is magnified more in my death than by me staying alive, then I'm fine with him taking me home. Because notice, and we're going to get to this next week, this great passage Notice Paul goes on basically to say in verse 21, no matter the scenario for the Christian, we never lose in Christ. Because he says, living is Christ and dying is gain. I can't lose as a Christian. Can't lose. So Paul says, if somehow Christ can grow bigger in people's lives, that Christ can be magnified, that Christ can be lifted up, that Christ can be exalted by my death or by my life, whatever, that's the purpose for my life. Christ exalted. Wow. Something for us to chew on, contemplate, consider, and ultimately and hopefully apply to our lives as well. Because here's what Paul is saying to the Philippians. 
He's saying, you realize this way of living is the way to experience true and ultimate joy. You see, he's reminding us here in verse 20 that the way of glory from God's perspective is the way of the cross. And there's no shame in that. Humanly speaking, when we look at the cross of our Savior Jesus, we could see a lot of shame. I mean, he was condemned as a criminal, and the culture said, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. I mean, Jesus hard, hardly had any clothes on while he was hanging there, so there was the shame and a sense of, of his nakedness. It was an awful way to die. He was disfigured. And yet the Bible says what you and I would look at maybe shamefully was actually the glory of God. And so Paul says, if I live that way, if I live to take up my cross every day and follow my Lord, then there is no shame in that. Whether I live or whether I die, no matter what people say about me, no matter how they damage my reputation, no matter what, if Christ is exalted in my body, whether I live or die, there's never any shame in that. And one day, as my son pointed out in the last seminar that he did on Sunday night on the problem of evil, one day vindication is coming for all those who follow Christ. And God is going to right all the wrongs against his people and against himself one day. And you and I are going to be glad we were on Jesus' side no matter how much we suffer here on earth. Because at the end of it all, Jesus wins and therefore we win too. The way of glory is the way of the cross. That's why Jesus said to his followers, you want to follow me? Then take up your cross daily and follow me. Embrace the cross. Die to self. It's exactly what Jesus did. And yet, what does the Bible say? In Philippians later on, we're going to study that passage in a couple weeks. Because Jesus, the Son of God, humbled himself and was obedient even unto the point of death, the death of the cross, God his Father highly, what? Exalted him. And gave him a name that was above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, Every knee will one day bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The way of glory is the way of the cross. And Paul is saying to the Philippians, there's no shame in that. In fact, you, he said, he's basically saying, you can't experience a more fuller and fulfilling joy than just laying your life all down for Jesus. Because God is going to fill your life with his joy so completely that, that you will experience a joy that, you know, you talk, the Bible talks about a peace that passes all understanding. 
God will fill our lives with a joy that is beyond our understanding. Because again, the world's going to look at that and go, you guys are crazy. What are you making all these sacrifices for? What are you allowing people to treat you that way and, and, and say those things about you and you seem like you don't even care? Why are you not more interested in the world and worldly things and all of that? Because the purpose of our lives is that we live so that Christ can be exalted in our bodies whether we live or whether we die. That people can see Christ. That he can be lifted up. That a very bright spotlight can be shown upon him through the way that we live or the way that we die. I think that's why I'll share this and then I'll wrap this up tonight. I think that's why it's important when you even study passages like this and read verses like and study verses like Philippians 1.20, whereas Christians, we should even already be praying right now, even if we're young, even, and not that we couldn't die at any time, but even if we're young and death could be 40, 50, 60, 70 years away, that we start praying, God, whatever death you choose for me, however you choose for me to, to leave earth and join you in heaven, let me exalt you in that death. I mean, it, it's great for Christ to be exalted in our funeral services, in our memorial services. That honors him well. But it also honors him when you and I die a certain way. <laughs> die a certain way. Because that's how people really see the reality of God in our lives. It's easy to maybe live for God, they would conclude when they look at our lives and things are going well, but how about when you get that conversation with a doctor and he says, you've only got a few months to live and your body's filled with cancer, where's our faith then in the providence of God? God may be wanting to do something bigger than we could ever imagine. I think about that in my own family, and you know the story. God had something much bigger in mind. God was doing multiple things and always does. And will the desire of our heart and the purpose of our life come back to what Paul said here. That the reason he could be sitting in that house under house arrest in Rome, chained to Roman soldiers every day for years until he was eventually released and have such joy is because it wasn't about him. It wasn't about him. It was about his Savior. It was about Jesus. It was about magnifying and exalting Jesus. And so every day, Paul knew, I have new opportunities. 
I have new soldiers that's going to come and be chained to me that I can talk to them about Jesus. I may have different people in the palace or in the guard that I get to talk to Jesus about. And if they do decide to hang me, to crucify me, to however they want to kill me, I'm going to go out with spiritual guns blazing. I'm going to go out letting them know in my dying breath that I love the Lord Jesus and I trust him even in this moment. And for me, living as Christ and dying as gain, they can't take that away from me. I can't lose, Paul said. And neither can we. Think about it. We can't lose. No matter what our scenario in life is, if we go on living another 50, 100 years, what a great life we could have here on earth when we put Christ first and experience all that he has for us. But how much better, Paul said, whenever we know that whatever day we do die, we get to go to glory for all of eternity. How good is that? That's just one of the many reasons why we need to be worshipers of God. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. God, tonight you have shown us through the experience of the Apostle Paul with his dear friends in Philippi the way you work and how a Christian can experience joy no matter what our circumstances. Because this letter of Philippians is an example of a devoted Christian who, in spite of their circumstances, has a contagious joy. Always rejoicing, no matter what. And he shares with us insight here in this passage tonight how that's possible in a human being's life. It's possible when we know the providence of God is at work. It's also possible when our life is all about proclaiming Christ and making him known. And it's also possible when the purpose of our life is to exalt Christ no matter what. Lord, we are, our eyes are fixed on a, on a human being that it's all about you, God. And I pray that each and every one of us would be challenged to make it all about you too. That God, we would truly want to live for you like never before in this world. Because God, if we ever needed churches, if we ever needed Christians, to clearly and evidently be exalting Christ in our bodies, whether we live or die, it's now. The way our country's going, the way our world's going, God, we desperately need a clear witness in this world. And I pray that here at the Oasis Church and that we as individuals would step up and stand up and be like those in Rome, that once they heard and once they saw the courage and the boldness and the commitment and the devotion of this Christian named Paul, 
that they were willing to step forward and step up like never before. They, they were willing to up their commitment, up their devotion, and go after Christ like they never had before. God, may that be true of us as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, come back. We're going to look at especially verse 21. What does it mean living is Christ, dying is gain? We're going to talk about that next week. God bless you. We'll see you next week.